Hello there. Hey there. How's everything going for you today? Everyone treating you kindly? Good. <laughs> That's what matters, especially if you're in the car all day. You want to have pleasant people to hang out with. So what kind of music do you like? Do you like soft rock? Soft rock? Yeah. No, it's not one of my... 70s and 80s, uh, Billy Ocean and uh, Christopher Cross and those guys. And, well, if you ever want to meet up with lots of positive, phenomenal people, this is the band I'm in, Yachtly Crew. We're playing tonight at the House of Blues, actually. Our first time on the huge, huge stage. We're so excited. Yeah, it's been picking up steam. A lot of positivity in that, in that audience. And anytime we play somewhere, it's just good vibes all over the place. We, uh... We wear these things. Oh yeah, yeah. All the love songs. You never realized how. Look at this. We all wear our Captain our captains' hats. Oh yeah. We all wear our captains' hats. Our blue blazers. Our white pants. White shirts. Oh man, it's just so much fun. And so it's like basically we uh, we treat it like it's a time travel. We kind of take everyone on this big dream cruise back through the 70s and 80s. And wow, you never realized just how many of these songs. You're like, oh my god, I totally grew up with these songs. Hearing them in the malls, hearing them in the grocery stores, right. hearing them in the, on TV. Like, on TV, you know, soundtracks and films. You're going, oh my god, no way, that song. And, uh, oh man, it's just amazing because all these people are sharing these memories with each other. And it's, wow, it's just amazing. And plus, a lot of those bands are not out there touring or uh, maybe they only had like one hit song. Like I said, it's like a nostalgia type of thing where you bring people. You know, I mean, back to a, a, a moment in time. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. It's so... I never realized until I joined this band that by singing love songs, like... Wow. I mean, there are guys... Or you play? Uh, well, I sing along with the guys. I'm behind the keyboards. We got seven okay. guys in the in the band. And uh, I would say the, the superstar of the band is a saxophone player we got who is... Uh, he, the poor guy broke his foot. He jumped off of like a five-foot-tall uh, incline. Uh -huh. um, during a couple of the songs, he'll go out there. He's got a cordless, uh, or a, what do you call it, wireless, wireless mic on his sax. He'll go out there, and a lot of times he'll walk walk along the bar tops or um, oh, pop up in someone's booth and... Oh, yeah, it's so fun. So one, one time, he ended up uh, getting a little too high up there and jumping off and breaking his foot, his heel. So now he's in a, now he's in a, uh, what was he wearing? yeah, he, well, he was wearing his, uh, he's wearing his boat shoes and now his one heel he's got, he's got actually one of those casts, it's like a, a really soft cast, but so the good news is he's walking on it now before we know it, he'll be dancing and going back out, you know, climbing on tables again, but man, it's, it's so good. What kind of, what kind of music do you prefer? I mean, well, I, I, uh, well, right, I do music. Oh, you're right? Yeah, I'm an artist. What, um... Rap. Oh, okay, I got you. You're, you rap. And, uh... I come from a rap, back rap. Do you have music out there that that's uh, available on SoundCloud or something? Yeah, I'm like Clark Kent driving right now, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm mild-mannered, but when I... You know, basically... It's your alter ego? 
Not an alter ego. I'm an established artist. You're driving who? Basically. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So that's why I say it's I mean, a lot not of folks like, like that. Not an alter Make ego. We just. I got it. Actually, I'm an artist, but. Mm -hmm. Where would people be able to find your stuff? Everywhere. Everywhere you can download Just music. Or. Amoeba. Or. Because I haven't put out. Uh, my last project I put out was last year. Make a slight right turn on oh, okay. At the beginning of last year, I did a collaboration album with my, uh, with my boy. Cool. Yeah. What's, what's the name of your project? Last one was called Open to Inglewood because I'm from Oakland and he's from Inglewood. Open to Inglewood? Oakland. Oakland to Inglewood. Yeah. And uh, so is that was that the, like the the name of your your project that you that carry with on him. with? No, no, no. That's the name of the project that I deal with my boy. Oh, gotcha. He's an artist from Inglewood, and I'm an artist from Oakland. I'm from Oakland. He's from Inglewood. That's great. So it's Oakland to Inglewood. And so Oakland Inglewood, and then we'll that should uh, pop up stuff on. Just yeah. what everywhere, huh? Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you download music, you just put uh, Oakland to Inglewood, and you'll see it. it's a bright red, bright red cover. That's great. Yeah, you know, I act, I'm a screenwriter. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. So, what um, what are some of the projects that? Uh, oh, this is the one that people could find your. Um. Well, as far stuff. as like like. Like my acting, yeah. Uh, like I was on ER before Drop they stopped the right. shooting that. Oh, cool! That was like my first first gig. Oh, that's great. Well, my first paying. That's what got me SAG eligible and all that. Oh, stuff. here we go, right yeah. here. Well, thank you so much, man. This is this is a, a great ride, and uh, may you uh, do all the great things that you love you doing. Too. I just got a show tonight. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited. We can't wait. Can't wait to yacht rock their socks off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Bye. There you. Well, there you go. Oakland to Inglewood. I think I'm listening to Inspirado Projecto once again. You are listening to Man Behind the Machine. Okay, so here you are with Philly Ocean on the way to another Yachtly Crew show. How's it going, everybody? Uh, you might have heard in the last podcast there is a show tonight at the House of Blues, large, 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 large stage. If you'd like to get those free tickets, please visit yachtlycrew.com. You'll get free tickets, but this is only before six o'clock p.m. and then it then it's over, and then you got to find those tickets someplace else. So, okay, so I always wanted to know, Phil, what is your, what's your history with singing? How long do you have? <laughs> did, did you? <laughs> I started singing Lionel Richie when I came out of the womb. Well, when did you, uh, kind of. when did you first start singing that, that people started you know, telling you? You know, funny story. I actually, my history with music goes back to when I was in the womb. Really? Because my parents would constantly play music, um, and... Uh, I mean, they just. My mom always had the record player on and whatever. They were listening to a lot of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, wow. and Fleetwood Mac, and 
you know, all of these uh, 70s bands that um, some years later, miraculously, I knew all of the lyrics to. Oh, my God. And my mom commented on it. She was like, I can't believe you you know the lyrics to these songs. It must have been because you heard them so many times when I played them and you were in the womb. Wow. Um, wow. But, you know, uh, I mean, I have... I'm an only child, and I have always been in the mode of really entertaining myself and entertaining my mom. And um, I, I've always loved music. I've always loved to sing. Um, I used to sing along to Richie Valens, uh, La Bamba, when I was a kid. And um, I've just always, I've always loved it. It's always had a profound effect on my life. So what, what's the first, because uh, I can imagine you definitely being in talent shows and stuff growing up, like what was the first time where you go, you know, what the heck, I'm going to, whether maybe it's a musical, maybe it's a talent show, an open mic, you know, where you go, I'm going to go ahead and sing for the populace right now. The first memory I had was <clears throat> when I was probably seven or eight years old, I was, and still am, by the way, obsessed with the movie Ghostbusters. Just obsessed with it. And we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, and we were in a Kmart, and they had the, the toy proton pack that was made by Mattel. And it was like something like 20 or $25, which in 1988 or 89 is no small amount of mm -mm, money. Mm -mm. Um, and my mom, you know, she didn't have that kind of money, and I wanted it so bad, and I was so bummed that I couldn't, she wouldn't get it for me, and... I didn't get a lot of toys when I was really young because we just, they just didn't have the money. I'd get them on, like, the holidays and the birthdays and stuff. But never just because, you know? And, um... And so, but she, she said, you know what, though? If you want to figure out a way to make, make some money yourself, then I'll bring you back here and you can buy it. And so we went back to her place. My mom, she, she had quite a, a social life when I was younger. She would, um... She would have friends over, and they would party, and they would, you know, have drinks or whatever. And I actually, when I was when I was younger, I actually was that was the resident bartender. Oh yeah, I, would, <laughs> I was tasked with making. Let me tell you, I could make a wicked gin and tonic. Oh, that's great. Which was the drink at the time. Um, and so she had some friends over that night, and I got it in my head that I was going to do a talent show, but I was going to charge five dollars admission. Oh. <laughs> Dude, that's brilliant. That's and brilliant. And she had four or five friends over, and I charged everybody five bucks. Oh my god! Incredible. And, and that night, I made, I made you know the twenty or twenty-five bucks, dude, to buy this proton pack, and then bugged her every day for about a week until she took me back over to buy it. Oh my god. Um. So wow. I, I think probably somewhere in my young mind, that moment was me kind of threading the needle. Yeah. Oh, of, yeah. You know, I could, I could maybe, maybe wow. there's something to this. Wow. Um, that's so, that's so clever. Yeah, that was, that that's was so clever. First, she must have been so proud experience. of you going, wow, look how fast you did that. Well, I <laughs> think know, she, like, I think she, she's always been very proud of me. I think probably it was not her preferred method of me right. basically charging her friends, yeah. but you know what? They loved it. <laughs> that's great. They, uh, they, they, they dug it. They thought it was hilarious. Oh, so. that is great. That is great. So that, I mean, it sounds to me like that was like a, um, yeah, there was like a domino that started. That was a, whole... a huge domino. Yep. 
maybe one of the first. What would you say was the, you know, because I, I assume that would give you confidence to go with experience to go into the next one. What what do you think was the next one? Maybe at school or well, to be on the playground. I perhaps? mean, you know what? Confidence is something that I have a long history of struggle with. Mm. Um, but I I have like most of my career, both as an actor and as a singer and a performer, has been a struggle with feeling confident in what I'm doing. Um, and it, but but there's just something too important to me about storytelling and um, performing and um, art that it, it's too important to ignore just because I don't feel necessarily confident in it. Um, and, I mean, I've been working at it for a long time, so the, the harder that I work, the more my confidence... That's, that's kind of the relationship with confidence. You know, the harder you work at something, uh, unless you're just blindly confident, which is true for some people, um, but unless you're just blindly confident, I think your relationship with confidence comes through really working and honing your skills and your craft. Mm-hmm. So what what was the next thing that, that you did that you remember? Was it a musical? I mean, we did family talent shows. Oh, that's cool. Um, it, I kind of got delayed a few years after that because uh, I had a big move when I was 10 years old from Buffalo, New York out to Scottsdale, Arizona. And so, um, and that was actually a, an event that, you know, when I think back on it, affected my confidence level because, um, you know, I was, I was basically a stranger in a strange land in many ways. And I, um, I didn't fit in in school and I felt behind in my education, um, cause the Buffalo school district and the Scottsdale school district were very, very different in terms of their, uh, their standards and their practice at the time. Um, and so I was like almost a full year behind in math and there's topics that when I got to my school out in Arizona, I had no idea what they were talking about. And I internalized it as like thinking that I was stupid or not mm. smart or whatever. Like I should know this. Um, and, um, so that was a very interesting experience. I didn't, I did get into band. Um, I started playing percussion in band in fifth or sixth grade and I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then it was in sev- late seventh grade or early eighth grade that, so several years later, that I started performing with uh, my, my best friend, Brian Swanson, who I'm still friends with like 26 years later. Um, we were like super nerds and we had joined the science club and he was the president and I was like the secretary, note taker, whatever. And the science teacher that was in charge of this club was really trying to get our membership up. She wanted more kids to get it. We were doing cool things like, you know, rocket launches and build your own rock, you know, and like oh, cool. those, those CO2 cars that you build out of balsa wood and, um, and, uh, all these things, you know, actually cool stuff. And she wanted more people to be involved. So the school that I went to when I was in middle school was in a pretty nice area of town. Scottsdale's like pretty, a pretty wealthy area, even though we didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, meanwhile, my mom's working like 80 hours a week to like keep us in this apartment. Um, but we had TVs in every classroom of our school. Wow. And what they would do is they would broadcast on TV, uh, the morning announcements. And most of the time it was the vice principal and he'd get up there and he'd just read very dryly 
you know, the, the list of, you know, such and such is happening, and don't forget to buy your prom tickets. No, not prom. So you kind of had, like, your own TV station? We had kind of our own TV station. Oh, but my it was, God. it was, like, not that. And I think it was, it was set up that, like, the president of the student council got to go on, and, like, they got to do, you know, the student portion of the morning announcements. But, um... But if a club or an organization on campus had an announcement to make, the kids could go up there and they could get on campus. Oh, that is great. And so our, our science teacher said, why don't you guys go on the morning announcements and, and do, like, find, do something creative. Like, do something fun that'll, you know, get kids to come out to our, you know, science club or whatever. And Brian and I at the time were obsessed with Saturday Night Live. I mean, we would watch it every week without fail. We would watch the repeats that they had at the time on Comedy Central. We would imitate the skits. We would do everything. And so Brian came up with this idea, well, why don't we do our announcement in the form of a skit? So we started writing these skits that were basically ripping off of <laughs> Matt Foley, motivational speaker, played by Chris Farley, and Hans and Franz, Played oh, that's by Dana great. Carvey and Kevin Nealon. <laughs> and I think those were our two main go-tos. We did a couple other ones, too. but um, And we started doing these comedic, quote-unquote comedic. I mean, we thought they were funny. I don't know if, I, I don't know if they actually were. Um, but we started doing these almost every week. We would go down to the morning announcements. And we would do Turn right. these skits together. <coughs> and... We slowly but surely became known throughout the school by, you know, by the kids at the school, like, for the, as the two guys who were doing this, you know, stuff. And we kind of get, gained a, a reputation for being, you know, these, like, funny guys and whatever. And that continued in high school. We did the morning announcements. Oh, wow. Uh, all through high school. And, and then it was my, the end of my freshman year... Um, my English class, we were given the option to either write a 25-page report or they were trying out what they called a new media project. And you could do a new media project. Basically, you'd have to come up with whatever that was. It had to do with, like, radio, TV, art, or something else. Um, and you'd have to pitch the idea to the teacher. Uh, and then if she approved it, you could do it. And so basically, it was, and it had to be about Romeo and Juliet, because uh, we had read that. And so a friend of mine and I came up with the idea, well, what if we, like, did a abridged version of Romeo and Juliet and we filmed it? And it was just the two of us. So it meant that basically one per... It was actually... We had a girl in it who played Juliet. But I ended up playing, like, eight or ten characters... Wow. ...from, from Romeo and Juliet. And... We, you know, it was like a 20-minute film, <laughs> which, I mean, much it probably could have been five. It didn't need to be that long in hindsight. But, uh, you know, my teacher called me aside after class, and she was like, so have you ever thought about acting? And I, my thought to myself was, what is that? I mean, I knew what acting was, but I didn't, I never, ever thought about uh, acting in terms of something I could do. Or that was, like, a possibility. Wow. And um, so her saying that to me, like, ra radically changed my life from that point forward. She said, well, I think you should go out for the school play in the fall. 
And at the time, I was actually working out and, like, exercising to prepare to be on the football team. Because I thought that would be fun. And I'd never really been into sports that much. And, um, and so that, that shifted, and I didn't end up going out for tryouts for the football team because they were the same week as auditions for the school play. Wow. Wow. What was that play? What was that first one? It was a play called The Dining Room uh, by A.R. Gurney. I believe that's the name of the author, A.R. Gurney. Um, And it's a play where there are six actors and each actor plays about seven to ten roles throughout the play because it's a collection of scenes that all happen around a dining room table. It's um, cool. So yeah, it, it was a very, uh, very interesting and insightful um, experience. And, and then for the rest of my high school career, I basically was in every main stage production at my high school from that point forward. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was definitely laying the foundation. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah. So, did you do? Uh, Open mics or community theater? Yeah, or we did open edges. mics all the time. I didn't do a ton of community theater. Um, I just never got into that. Um, oh, this is not where we need to be. Sorry, I'm also driving while doing this extensive interview. <laughs> so, bear with me, everyone. Um, yeah, I didn't do a lot of community theater. I, I went straight from school, from high school, to an acting conservatory in New York... And the first thing they said when we got there was, you're not supposed to audition for anything. Which never really uh, felt right with me. Yeah. Um, their philosophy was, we, we want to train you. We want to break you down and retrain you before you go out and start acting and stuff. And, and I always thought, well, like, what, what is a better way to learn than, like, by doing? Yeah. By actually, like, doing it and trying, you know? Um, so, I guess just different schools of thought. Um... So I didn't do any community theater. Um, I just kind of had this, you know, experience in New York, and I was supposed to be there for two years. I left after a year, um, and then I, uh, uh, and then I went out to California and started film school. Oh, that's great! So I was wondering if we could maybe, if you'd be open to something. Can we continue this interview another time? Only oh, yeah. because I'm doing a lot of talking yeah. before a show. Oh, shoot, yeah. And I don't You're want my sing. voice to get too tired. Yes. But this is really fun, so we'll pick it up. We shall pick it up, pick it up, while. part two. Sayonara. <laughs> so, um... So, Paulie, we're, um... So it's 4.33. We're going on stage what time tonight? 9.45 slash 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And how many times have you been on the stage performing with in your illustrious career? This stage in particular? Mm-hmm. This is the first. It's the first, yeah. Now, second question. How many times have you done stage dives off this stage? Stage dives, successful stage dives, successful ones, where I have not injured myself mm-hmm. or others. Mm-hmm. Zero, zero. Mm-hmm. And the others have involved you, someone getting injured. Yes, usually. What? Who was usually getting injured? Audience members. Uh oh. But but ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's audience members, and 
0.01% of the time it's myself. And that's kind of done me in. Are they just, are, do you think they're just not ready to catch you or what, 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 where does, where's the folly? Um, the folly was in my volley. Mm. The folly usually does lie in the volley, doesn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I volleyed a little too, too far. Oh, you volleyed yeah, too far. My, I, I mis, misjudged the distance of the volley. Oh, good God. Oh, good God. So they just didn't they just didn't catch you appropriately and you know only you know that you always have to you have to judge your volley properly before yeah. you attempt to to do otherwise you get a folly otherwise you get a folly yeah you got you have got to dial in that volley uh -huh. folly so otherwise a folly no stage types. So, I'm thinking if we had a, a really short bungee cord for tonight's performance, you could at least bungee off the top of the, um, off the balcony, and then get right back up to the top. It said, um, bungee cord mm -hmm. was attached to, like, a, a, a belt, mm -hmm. like a Batman belt, oh, utility, yeah. utility belt. Absolutely. And I could, like, oh, geez, press yes. a button, and it could just go... Shoot it exactly. Like oh. I have like a you oh, know God. my glasses has a has oh, a in, not an infrared but like a oh, laser God. pointer. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, um, aim. See, yeah, yeah. So you always get the aim Target right. Target aim. So oh I my God, dude. And it attaches to that Ooh. rail. Sailing up, or vice versa. Like Ooh, it could launch you up there. It could launch you back. Slowly drop me down to the floor. Ooh, that sounds so rich and ripe right about now. Yeah. I could probably. Aim if the if the bungee cord or cable it sounds like it had to be a cable. Oh yeah. If the cable was long enough, I could probably go up to that scaffolding. Oh yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. Can you imagine? Holy cow. How my insurance rates would go up at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you'd also be I bet get you get a lot of sponsorship from um, companies that make padding, and also. Saxophones. Um, maybe indestructible saxophones. Yeah, because they could say we sponsor these indestructible saxophones for a, a daredevil, a stuntman, a stuntman, yeah. if you will. Like uh, titanium. That's really titanium. strong. Titanium. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Titanium indeed. Yeah. I don't know about the acoustical properties of titanium, but um, it'd be pretty sturdy. Don't you think? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I know so. I mean, I'm the expert on the. Subject. You're the expert on the titanium. Yes, titanium saxophone. Do you also know a lot about Edmantium, which is the uh, the strongest metal in the Marvel Universe? No. But I did notice that there's a lot of band members missing, and they just brought beer into our green room recently. Oh, jeez. Hold on. So Maybe it's time for us to go take a... Let's go take a walk into the... Some might call it the wild side. Let's go take a walk into the wild side. Oh, I see Chaz drinking something. I think it's a diet Oh, it is. All right, well. Hey, man. Good to see you again. I'm so glad we're all uh, collaborating on tonight's experience. These are warm. That's why no one's going for them. Oh, warm brews. Well, that's why they, someone put them up in the freezer. I'll put one up near the freezer, too. Monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do. How you do, how you do, monkey see, monkey do. 
How you do, how you do. Let's make sure there's one beer for each of these rascals. So no one... Monkey say, monkey do. The beer cold? Mmm. Not quite yet. However, as they say, warm beer is better than no beer. At least that's what that's what I've heard them say. <laughs> we like try to sneak a beer out, and you know the only beer you have is like you gotta drink it. Oh yeah. Warm beer, you like trying to put it. You don't even like beer at the time. You're like, oh. Yeah, you just try to force it down. Yeah. Tommy, what was the first time? I was asking Phil in the car here today. Um, his his history with singing and all that jazz. What was the first time you you like picked up a guitar? And or well, first question: What was the first time you picked up a guitar? Um, my mom forced me to play a guitar when I was ten years old. Well, she forced me to play an instrument, and I chose a guitar. Mm. And she bought me this tiny classical guitar, but it was like a mini guitar. I was ten, so it's like small size. So I remember just like uh, it was like in the car after soccer practice, and in, in the minivan, and I was like in the back, like just messing around. You were strumming in the minivan. Yeah, trying to figure something. I didn't know what I was doing, but then I went to lessons and. I vaguely, I was 10, so I vaguely remember the lessons, but I know the first song I learned was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, you know what I mean? Like, ding, 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 ding. And I remember I played that for my grandparents after, like, my first or second lesson, and they were all like, woo! So, that's So when you saw that kind of progress happening with the learning guitar, did it, did it inspire you more to well, learn songs? Well, honestly, the first year or so of playing, I was like, eh, I was just going because I had to. Didn't really love it that much, but then I had a friend at school that was into Nirvana, and grunge music at the time. This is 1994. And, uh, so he was, like, after school one day, he was, like, showing me, he had a Strat, like, an electric guitar. I didn't have an electric. Oh, boy. And he started showing, uh, it must changed everything. he started showing me, uh, like, Come As You Are by Nirvana and, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I, like, couldn't, because I had been taking lessons, I, like, could play it instantly. You know what I mean? So it was, like, instant gratification. Oh, man. And then I remember... I, like, begged my mom for a Stratocaster because I really wanted, like, an electric guitar. So I got... She got... I begged for a while, and I don't know if it was, like, a birthday or Christmas or whatever, but they bought me, like, a Fender Squire, like, the $150 one or whatever. And I remember once I got it, I, like, sat in my room and put on Green Day Dookie and and just tried to learn the whole album because it was, like, all power chords. Wow! Which is, like, a really simple chord if you don't know a guitar. And I just, like, would go through the whole album. And from there, I just, like, I was, like, learning Nirvana songs. And then I learned Metallica songs. And then I was learning 311 and all these other 90s bands. I was just learning all 90s music. And then I kind of stopped in high school. And then at the end of high school, I realized I wasn't going to be in the NBA. And I was, like, I really love music anyway, so I want to do that. And I just kind of, like, went back to guitar lessons and threw myself into it, like... Pretty hardcore. What was the first time you actually got up on stage and played in front of people? Um, this is funny. This is uh, seventh grade. So my seventh grade band teacher allowed me to play guitar in the band, in the school band, which oh, was cool. cool. You know, so like as long as I was reading music, which I was, and she, you know, we'd play along with whatever band song we were doing, and then she allowed me, one of my friends that was a drummer, and another friend that played guitar. We didn't have a bassist. But she would always see us like trying to play rock and roll songs during band, band and be like, we're not playing that, you know? <laughs> but to, the, to her credit, she was like, okay, well, you guys can play one rock and roll song at the 
school concert. Oh, that's right? great. Oh, that's so great. we were like, we're gonna do a Nirvana song, and I wasn't the singer. This other dude was a singer. I was the guitar player, and we didn't have a bass player because nobody was good enough to play bass, and we're the drummer, and we didn't want to do Smells Like Teen Spirit because it was like, oh, that's the cliche. We were like too cool for that. Thirteen years old, you know what I mean? Twelve, thirteen. Like we're not doing Smells Like Teen Spirit. So we did this like super rare B side called, called like Verse Chorus Verse or something like that. Um, which is a great Nirvana song, actually. And I learned the whole guitar solo, so I took the solo in the middle of the thing. But I was so fucking nervous going in front of the whole school, you know what I mean? It was like the whole school came to this recital in the middle of the school day. And I, before our song, I was fucking like, I had never been that nervous in my life. But I got up on stage, did it, and it was like instant afterwards, everybody in school was like, all of a sudden we were rock stars. And that was the first time I was like, Oh, this music thing is pretty cool. Like, all the girls are coming up to us like, You guys are awesome. Oh my god, that was amazing. Because we like did a fucking cool rock and roll song instead of all these lame bands. Wow. Songs, you know? And, uh, so yeah. So that was that. And then, I actually, like I said, I actually kind of stopped in high school for a bit because I was like focused on sports. I didn't, I never quit, per se. I just like didn't play as much. You know what I mean? I like, wasn't dedicated to it. So I was just too busy doing other shit. And... Yeah, and then at the end of high school, I went to C311 at Lupo's in Providence, and I walked out of that concert in 1999, which is like, I think that was, I was in 11th grade, it was like October of 99, and I walked out of that concert, and I was like, said to my buddy, my best friend who ended up playing bass in my band, I was like, we're starting a band together, that's it, we're, we're fucking incredible. doing incredible. And I had like one year left of sports, and like, at the as soon as I was done with basketball my senior year, we were like... Going full force on the band. Oh my god, so, yeah, dude! Cool. And then little did you realize that one day you'd be playing basketball with the dudes, know, and then on being the on their freaking cruise, man. Talk about yeah. manifestation of reality right. without you even realizing it. You, that was you, a synchronicity. Oh. I was like, oh my god. Oh my god, that is brilliant. That's brilliant, Dave. Yeah. David. Oh yeah, tell me more about your. Uh, so then, so then, what was the first band that you were in? Well, that band that I played in front of the school, we had a name called Early Dismissal. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, but we never really played out. We never like played a show at a club or anything like that. And then, uh, so after you saw Three Eleven, that was the band, first real band, right? Was that the one? After you saw Three Eleven, you go, yeah, let's make a band. Or was there right. one before? So that band was started off being called Premonition. And we did that from like wow, talk about Premonition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that was like from like two thousand two thousand one to two thousand three. We broke up the band in 2003 for like six months, and we came back as a band called Someday Providence. And that was the band from 2004 to 2010 when I moved out here. Well, to do, we really broke up in 2009. It was like 04, like five years. And we had a pretty big like local hit, the song that I wrote called Summertime in Rhode Island, and it was like huge. Wow. Um, huge locally, not huge like yeah. nationally, but like... It was kind of unheard of. It is still kind of unheard of for like a local band to get played. Like we were played on the alternative rock re- radio. Incredible! Station oh my god, that's and it, awesome! And it wasn't like during the, sh- the local show. It was like they would play us during the regular rotation. Amazing! Stuff. And we were like number one on the top twelve songs of the week or something like that. It was crazy. Amazing! So yeah, we had and we ended up having like a really good following in Rhode Island. We played a show. At uh, Lupo is actually the place where I saw 311, 
although it had moved to the street. So you street. played at the same stage that you had seen Well, it was Eleven the play. same club, but the club had moved down the street, so it was technically different, but 311 has played at that club, too, so. Incredible. Right. Incredible. So we played it there at, like, the height of our, whatever you want to call it, success, sort of success, and we drew, like, 800-something people for a local band, which is, like, and that's not, like, paying, that's not a free show, that's, like, Wow. Some people paid to come. We were the headliner. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so that was pretty crazy. And then we also played there a bunch of times opening for Badfish, which is the Sublime tribute band. Oh. And that those were like always sold out, 2,000 plus people. And uh, so that was really cool. Every wow. Time those. Yeah. So you did. So that that's what was going on before you moved out here to California. Right. What a great like, what a great thing to have as. Because you had so much momentum in that, and then moving out here, it was right. great, because... I was always trying to get the band to move to L.A. with me. Also, that's what 311 did. They were in, from Omaha, and they were like, we're moving to L.A., and we're going to get signed. And they did. So I was trying to always convince my band, like, we got to go to L.A. And when it became clear they weren't coming with me, I was like, well, I'm going. And here I am. Now I'm in Yachtly Crew. Did they did they continue making music with their band, or no? Well, they're all doing different things. Um, drummer is playing in a 90s tribute band called The Pogs. Bass player isn't doing anything, but he's been talking about doing stuff again. And we might go have to go for Are these guys aware that, that uh, 311 is, you're playing on 311 Cruise? They are aware, yeah. Oh my God, they must be flipping out. Can you tell them how loud you want to hear my voice today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Check, check. Two, two. Uh-huh. You are now hearing the sound check. Bring it up in the bass switch. Bringing it on up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Check, check. Can you bring him up and can you bring me up in we, my ears too? We shall yeah. talk more. Hey, hey, check, 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 more check, later. Check, check. This is for your in ear. <laughs> yeah. asking these guys their their roots where they came from like the kinds of things that first got them interested in their instruments and the first times they got up on stage what so you started as a drummer i, I mean here we're talking about david bowie well, you started as a drummer well naturally um drums were first for me but um all my my uncles who are just a few years older than me um had a little mini band going on down in the basement so there was a drum kit and some guitar playing and stuff going on my grandfather was a guitar player but um, you know the first uh, the first time I remember Thomas Tommy was telling the story about a high school thing I'd been playing in kid band since you know 10, 11, 12 playing you know neighborhood parties out, out in the neighborhood you and you the know. kids? yeah yeah me and, and friends? Me, me and a couple other guys what were some of your beginning bands your names well, we were playing we were playing well we were playing Beatles songs and stuff like that I had a, I had a band called um, 
Uh, oh man, I can't think of any of the names of those groups. Now. It's so hard to believe. Well, the last one, the last big one was Molotov Grasshopper, and before that, there was uh, uh, something, something twenty two. I don't remember what it was. But you know, we were just playing. Just that eleven or, or we were 12. doing we were doing covers going around town. There was a band that I would sub in for it. And they were called Curb and the Cruise Tones because the guys' names nice were, curves. The guys' names was Cur uh, Cruise, and then the guy uh, who played guitar was Keith Kerbo, and they were doing like Rush and all kinds of stuff. They had a really really good drummer, um, and so I sat behind him most of the time and watched him. And then when he would get tired, I'd sit in and play the Easy Beatles songs and stuff like that. Oh, that's great! So that's when that all went down, and then. Uh, you know, and then, and then I, I didn't get real serious. I never even owned my own drum set until I was 17. And I bought it used off a buddy of mine for 100 bucks. And uh, set it up in my girlfriend's basement. Hey, Philly's dad, hey! And played, with, uh, and played with the stereo, you know, two speakers on both sides of you. You just sit there and you rehearse and rehearse. Yeah, yeah. And so then when I got into college, my buddy Jerry was a really good guitar player, and him and I had a band called In the House, I-N-D-A-H-O-U-S. And uh, we just did instrumentals, purely instrumentals, no singing, no nothing. And sometimes we'd have a couple of guest appearances. But that's where I earned my chops. And that's when I became a really solid player. And one day... We were letting a guy, a buddy of ours, crash on our couch. He was in from Florida. Um, he was going to school down in Miami U. And he came back for like a holiday week. I don't remember if it was Christmas time or it was spring break, actually. And we were playing one night. We were all smoking, you know, some bowls and stuff and hanging out and shooting shit. And he looks at me and he goes, Dave, I want you to get into a band. You are way too good to be playing upstairs in this house right now. You need to get into a band. And he says, I'm going to help you find one. And so one day he shows up at my house and he pulled a tab off of uh, one of them, you know, flyers with a tab on it. He says, they're looking for a band and here's and, and a drummer and here's, here's the bands that they play and I want you to go audition for them. And he forced me to go do it when I was 20. And then uh, I turned 21 and then I was, I, I was let in the band and I'm wondering if it's because I was 21 and I could buy beer. <laughs> <laughs> or if I was really that good, but that was the beginning of Molotov Grasshopper, the three-piece version, before we oh, had our, our female singer. So Ben and Tony and I were playing in a, in a shithole basement, um, you know, dungy, nasty, grotesque, and we'd play house parties and stuff, and we just started writing songs, and that's how we built a catalog. We had a catalog of about 100 songs, and then when uh, Amy joined the band a couple of years later, we put up uh, a pro- about she had another probably eighty that we t- put into the, the rotation, and then she primarily took over and became the main singer. Got signed to a major label deal, toured you know all over the Midwest, played some of the same venues that a lot of these uh, these guys like Three Eleven were playing in. In fact, Nick knew the, the the blue note that I was mentioning when I met him at the poker uh, party that we played. He comes up to me and I, I was shake talking to him and I go, Hey man, you know I saw you play back in the day, Columbia, Missouri. And he goes, Blue note. And I said, That's it. So we played. We almost opened for you one time. <laughs> this would have been 1993. You talk about the, the poker to charity we played. Yeah, the charity. Wait, event. he was there, the 311 guy. Yeah, he was there. Really he was there playing. He got knocked out early, and I saw him leaving, and I walked over to him because I could tell it's him. He's this tall, you know. I got a, pic- I got a picture with him. Wow. I, I didn't realize oh, he was there. Super nice guy. So yeah, we had talked before. So it's going to be kind of cool to have everybody, you know, get together again. Should be good. Is that the same guy that Tommy plays basketball with? Yes. That's and him. did Tommy, Tommy, did you see him at the poker thing? Oh. He, he didn't. He missed him. I tried to find him, and he Dude, wasn't anywhere around. Nick at the poker thing. Oh, I didn't realize that. I Because I came backstage to try to find you guys. So anyway, that's a brief history in time. That's incredible. So that, but that, and then uh, that led you, at what point did you join the Larrys? I remember you well, telling me about that one. We, uh, at one point, um, when, when Molotov was on the verge of demise, uh, either we were going to make a move or we were going to stop playing or, or stay in Kansas City, and I said... Uh, I suggested jokingly that we move to LA 
and they all agreed. I couldn't believe it. And so in 1998, we all moved out to Los Angeles. Wow. That band continued on for a couple of years and kind of, uh, you know, flustered and didn't really do too well. And then uh, while I was involved with that, some guys came over to me one night and said, man, we need a drummer for our band. We were called the Larrys, and it's a joke thing, and this is what we're going to do. And they gave me the whole premise. And, uh, and then that band took off, and we were playing everywhere in Hollywood. The House of Blues, Los Angeles, the Whiskey, the Roxy. Um, the gig on Melrose was our primary spot. Which is no longer oh, there. It's, it's now a, a rap I'll I'll talk to you later. He's got to say something. That's okay. Pause. And now some very very special sounds from Paul E. Shores. There you go, Paulie Shores, the maestro himself. Everything. Okay, we are here with Paulie Shores. We have um, been waiting to interview this fella. He's my unofficial brother, my brother, right here, Paulie Shores, Stony Shores, from Yatley Crew. And um, Paulie is the sax, the sexy sax player, the daredevil, the stunt man of the group. And. Um, I need to know, Paulie, what was it that first inspired you to pick up the saxophone? Uh, that you could also do circus stunts while you played the instrument. Ooh! Like, Ooh. Um, you could jump on the trampoline mm -hmm. uh, and play, you know, the theme to, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, James Bond. Oh, yeah. Da -da -da. Ooh! Da -da -da. Oh, yeah. Da -da -da. Is that what he's talking about? I think so. Oh, yeah, to double doors. He's like, don't go down the elevator. And so, oh, yeah, he wasn't kidding. This is, he's very true about that. He could jump on the trampoline. Can we go back in this way is the question? No. Are you guys going to the loading dock or to the parking garage? Yeah, you can go the right way. Yeah, down to one, number one. Let's see if we could just lightly. Uh, oh. Um, so, okay, so you started doing that. And then <clears throat> how old were you when you first started playing saxophone? Oh, tch. Let's see. I remember I signed up for sixth grade band, mm -hmm. and it was the most popular instrument at the time. So oh. um, I was actually in band for several weeks, probably several months, a couple months, without my instrument. I was like the only... No, there were a couple other kids, because the store was... The, the store, the local... I grew up in Salinas, which is, at the time was under 75,000 people population. Oh. So the school I was at was very small. And the band director was only like... We only had band like two, three days a week. It wasn't an everyday class. It was like an after-school class thing. Wait, is so, it? No. Oh, wait. This is where my car is. Oh, this is it. Okay, yeah. Um, so, 
we are going to the parking level four at oh, the yeah. House of Blues parking level four. Uh, for general parking. Um, that's where we're headed right now for our uh, audio people in um, listening land, audio, audio land. Um, so to continue along with my... I love that listening land. That's so yeah. good. Listening land and audio land. Audio land. Um, so you saw you saw some great success in others playing the saxophone, and you did you were there any musicians that you I had did, heard I who had played the saxophone? You're like, ooh, I like that. I like that. Like that sounds really good. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the initial the initial attraction to the instrument was uh, kind of an aesthetic thing. Oh. Like it wasn't an auditory like like uh, I. It wasn't because I I knew specifically how the saxophone sounded and I wanted that to be my sound it was more like a, I like how that instrument looks it's kind of cool because I was oh, a 6th yeah. grader you know oh, oh, right, I didn't really right, right, care right. about I listened to like whatever at least, at least a cult jam in the 80s like I didn't really care about music I was just like whatever I can dance to with my friends I didn't really care about instruments or music or whatever so um, it was just really just like that looks like a cool instrument it's shaped like an S I need something to do with my life because I'm in sixth grade and I don't really have like anything that I stick out and I'm good at. So I'm going to try this one thing. I wasn't good at sports. I was clumsy, as you can tell. Uh, I broke my leg. Did you join the school band with this saxophone? Did you start like really? Well, okay, yes. That's what I was trying to tell you. I joined the school band and uh, I didn't have an instrument for two months because the store was out of them. So we had to order them. We're coming home from school every day asking my mom, did my saxophone come yet? Did you pick it up? Did the store call? Has my saxophone come? Two months, every day after school. I was so excited to start playing the saxophone. Like... Uh, it was like all I could think about. Oh my god! And when it finally came, I, re- I mean, I don't remember the exact day and time of the week and the year and stuff. And all I remember is that it was like I couldn't put it down. I couldn't oh. stop playing. In fact, I went into my garage of my parents' house. I totally forgot about this story. I used to tell this to my students, and because when I would teach private lessons, I would tell them, you know, because you're teaching them the first time students, you're teaching them, how, you know, it's okay that you're making mistakes. Here's an example of how I made a mistake. I didn't have a private teacher until I was playing the saxophone for four years, so I was trying to discover it on my own. What my band director would tell me in the class with other, you know, 25 other kids, and and and. And, and the first night I played by myself before I even went to band class and my, my, my director corrected me, I had the mouthpiece upside down. <laughs> so on the saxophone... So then the whole time if, you were playing you in the garage, it was upside down? Yeah, if you understand, probably about 45 minutes to an hour or something till my mouth couldn't handle it anymore. Um, like, if you know anything about the mechanics of the saxophone, the way it's... it's, it's, it's cr- the way the sound is created is there's a plastic or some kind of... There's metal mouthpieces on saxophone, too. Uh, there's some kind of mouthpiece that the wooden... Uh, bamboo reed that's filed down to a really like thin like balsa wood kind of super mm. thin really if you can under if you can kind of imagine what a mm-hmm. reed looks like cut into a little square that fit on top of the mouthpiece you blow through it and it's like your vocal cords it vibrates against the mouthpiece and creates a sound like uh, oh, wow. when you hear that sound with your voice that the, the way that translates to the saxophone mechanics is it's, instead of vocal cords vibrating against each other it's a wooden reed vibrating against the mouthpiece of the saxophone Interesting. so if everybody in, in listening land or auditoryville puts their hand on their voice box and goes yeah. uh, uh, you can feel those vibrations yeah. right? so for every sound created you have to have some kind of vibration if it's uh, flute it's the air vibrating really? over the mouthpiece if it's the, the, the oboe it's it's the reeds vibrating against each other. Saxophone is a reed against a plastic mouthpiece, and a trumpet is the lips. So is the trumpet saxophone is... similar to uh, the way that a, 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 a kazoo would work? Yes, because the kazoo has reeds, but it's, it's, a plastic, going, uh, it's like a plastic sheet, a, plas- a sheet of plastic that right. vibrates against the, uh-huh. the, uh, the, 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 the diaphragm. It's, it creates a diaphragm. So the saxophone is less about 
blowing the air in and more about uh, no, you, there's no right? voice no, oh, no you're I'm not. sorry that was oh, merely an example oh, 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 you're, oh, oh, you're okay, not using okay. your vocal cords at all when you play saxophone oh, okay, it's just okay, a, gotcha. an analogy oh gotcha so okay, when you oh, play gotcha, saxophone gotcha. it sounds more like this I'll try not to blow right into the microphone so if you can just hold it like this oh, yeah. a little 45 degree angle I'll blow across it when you play saxophone all you do into the mouthpiece is go you just blow air and it's it but okay. you have to get okay. you have to get your lips the right shape and your and the the the, uh, the orifice the inside of your mouth the correct shape to oh, get the the re and the way your tongue is positioned this kind of I'm well sure the tongue creates like, the tongue stops and starts the sound so the only the only oh. time the only role that your tongue plays is t- like when you're talking yeah. t- when you articulate t- 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 same way that's really the only way you use your tongue on the saxophone I mean once you get into it and after you've been playing for like a few years and you're getting really advanced you can actually adjust the pitch with your tongue but that's really advanced way down Whoa. the line like if I never teach that, that to no, beginners have you learned it though? yeah you, you have to do it. that to hit those really high notes so so for Yachtly Crew yeah are doing that? my tongue yeah it's like your vocal cords. Dude, there's so much cooperation your... happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of manipulation of the air, the air stream and the reed. Like bending the reed at your air Whoa. at the same time. It's very advanced stuff, yeah. Because it's easy. Saxophones, is a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a, uh, a misleading instrument. Because kids pick it up or students pick it up for the first time and they blow on it. And... And it, it's easy to create a sound right off the bat. You can learn. Mm. You can know, like, I have kids that come back when I was teaching over at the, uh, the, the sixth grade band. We have class. It's kind of a, I'd like to change the format of the band class, but that's not for this, for this time. It's a different story. But we meet once a week. Okay, so maybe I, I give the kids their instrument the first week and they make the worst sounds ever in the world. It's like, Rrr! I record it every year so I can play it at the concert so the parents brilliant, can hear it. Brilliant. But the saxophones always come back two weeks later and they've learned either Careless Whisper or Baker Street on their own on YouTube. Wow. After two weeks. So oh my God. That shows you how easy it is to find the notes on the saxophone. Like it's like easy. Kids get, oh, kids get wow. lulled into it and they're like, oh, it's, it's such an easy instrument to play. I want to play this out. Everybody that ends up That sounds like a very encouraging and it looks instrument. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it, you get good results right off the bat. But um, um, it's hard to play well. It's hard to play in tune. It's hard to do that articulation you're talking about. And kids right away get kind of uh, mesmerized by all of the buttons. Oh, yeah. And they want to, like, just play really fast. You know, like, they oh. blow, and they don't know what they're doing, and they move their fingers across. Because there's, like, <laughs> yeah. the saxophone has, like, 25 oh. different oh, buttons God, on it. Oh, my God, yeah. 25 different buttons. And it's like, oh, you can just go hog wild and just sound Yeah, like, it make, looks like a tree. Like even, a, yeah, a when buttons, When I look right? at that, it looks like it's a tree of buttons. But, but the it way, is. The little... it, I think, in my opinion, after teaching and playing music for over two decades, I think the saxophone is one of the easier instruments to play. Incredible. Like once you understand the mechanics and how to do it, the trumpet seems easy because it only has three keys. It's not. Like, you have to play seven different notes with one key oh, uh, key combination. Oh, like, like open. If you don't press any buttons and you blow with your lips, you have to be able to do this. Like, oh be able to hit God. different pitches with just your mouthpiece and your lips. So, each like little thing you're very, pushing in is a different octave, so to speak? Is that what it is? It, it that enables was a very a, bohemian example. Like, a very, yeah. so not bohemian, what's a better word? Uh, very, I like that word. I'm going to start uh, using no. it. Bohemian. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right Very contact. raw, very... Yes, uh, very raw, yeah, yeah. unperfect. Like, you yeah. get the press, impression yeah. that I'm trying to, like, the, yeah. what I'm talking about. But it's Perfect. Actually, it's very challenging. Trumpet is very... Brass instruments are all very challenging because you have to be able to hear the pitch and also vibrate your lips at the right frequency and get the right finger combination. Whoa. With saxophone, you just pretty much blow and you press the right keys and it'll do the right thing as long as you don't 
mean, there are some things, but I think flute is also a hard instrument. You try playing the flute for the first time for 20 minutes, and you feel like you're going to pass out. Oh, geez. Yeah, because you're... There's nothing to vibrate. You just blow across the top of it. So if we misdirect your air and you get no oh, results, you oh, just oh, can't get a sound. Oh, and after oh. like even 20 seconds of that, I'm already feeling lightheaded. So having the so read like, kind of helps you. Yeah, it it gives lets you, you gauge. Resistance. It's like a, yeah. oh, that's cool. Dude, no, that's my story. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. That is Polly Shores, the saxophone extraordinaire. You have got to come to the Yachtly Cruise Show to experience it yourself. To really, really, really feel the vibes. Feel the vibes. Uh, this is the last segment on this podcast. You're listening to Inspirato Projecto. Please feel free to go to uh, podcastawards.com and, and vote for Inspirato Projecto as best arts podcast and also the Adam Curry Award, if that, if that excites you. Um, also tonight, we're at the House of Blues, Anaheim. That's where we're at, Anaheim. Tonight, go to yachtlycrew.com. Get your free tickets before 6 o'clock. Oh, it's at 6.30 right now. Well, anyway, come on by. We'll see you later. More, uh, more to come. Keep that in mind. <laughs>